So last night we uh, had a wedding right here in the room. Beautiful, beautiful wedding. I was driving home from that wedding, and as I was driving home, uh, I was happened to be driving my pristine and beautiful 2012 minivan. That's right, beautiful car. And I'm driving it home, and a woman was behind me in a uh, another minivan, and what she couldn't see was in front of me there was a very small car going about 30 miles an hour in the 35 miles an hour zone. And so instead of running that car over, I was just going about 30 miles an hour, a few feet behind, and the lady behind me uh, started making this motion with her hands like, her, her face, her face said like, what are you doing? And then her hands were like, hurry up. What's going on? Like, just like that. Um, and then she started honking her horn. Like, like, what are you, you're going 30 miles an hour. What are you doing at 35? And she, and she was so angry that I was driving five miles below the speed limit. And then to make the situation so much better, I just started waving at her in the, in the mirror and smiling and, you know, just kind of waving and smiling. Like, I see you, I see you. You can't see the car that I'm not running over, but I see you. And I smiled at her or whatever. Uh, what's the last time? What's the last time you were around someone and they were just irate? They were just so incredibly angry. Maybe it was you. Maybe you were the one that was really angry recently, or maybe it was someone else around you. How about this? What if we, what if we went up a notch above anger, above rage, to what I'm going to call a murderous rage? Murderous rage is this, is this feeling you have that you could kill someone. This murderous feeling, and I hope, you guys look like really nice people out there, and I hope you're rarely in a murderous rage or it's ever directed towards you, but, but we see in the Bible, we see a moment when directed at Jesus is this literal murderous rage. We're ta- I'm talking about Matthew 21, is what happens. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus, after three years of ministry, doing miracles and, and just amazing things, he comes into Jerusalem as the king. He's, he's greeted as a king, and, and they pull out these palm branches, and it's called Palm Sunday. If you've ever been have much church background, if you don't have much church background, that's great too. And, and they worshiped him, but the, the religious leaders were very upset. Not only was he worshiped, he came straight to the temple, and he did what we, the, the term we use is he cleansed the temple. They were, they were exchanging money. They were saying, hey, you, you, know, you can't bring your animals to the temple to sacrifice. Your animals aren't holy enough. You've got to buy a, a temple, a temple lamb, not your dirty lamb from your house. And then number two, you can't use your dirty money. You got to use temple money. And they were robbing the people on both ends. And Jesus comes in and, and this, in this righteous moment and he, he flips over the tables of the money changers and sets all the animals free. And it's this amazing moment. And the very next day, we're going to find our parable we're studying tonight. The very next day, Jesus comes back to the temple, and I'll show it to you right here. This is Matthew 21, Matthew 21, verse 23, and it says this. Jesus entered the temple courts, and when he got there, people gathered around him. Here he is, this this master teacher, miracle workers, maybe Messiah, they're thinking, and they gather around him, and he's teaching in the temple courts. And while he was teaching, catch this, the chief priest, I want you to see that, that's plural, chief priest, plural, and the elders of the people came to him. And now when they, when they came to him, they are so angry. Now, chief priest plus elders of the people, it means this. There's a tribe uh, in, in ancient Israel called the, the, the Levites, and the Levites were priests. 
And they would choose from among their, uh, that tribe every year, annually, there were chief priests that would serve in certain roles. And then the elders of the people were from all the other tribes. And so if it was all of them, all the chief priests and all the elders of the people, it's between 80 and 100 people. But scholars believe probably it's just those that were on duty that day in the temple. So maybe 20 to 30 of them are 30, you know, thir- look, picture 30 angry men walking to confront Jesus as he's calmly teaching there. And that's what they say to him. They're, they're, they're ready to throw him out. They're ready to do violence. They're in a murderous rage. And they say to Jesus, they say this, by what authority are you doing these things? They asked, by what authority? What authority do you have to cleanse the temple? What authority do you have to set the animals free? By what authority? Now, now Jesus right away doesn't answer them, but he asked them a question back. And we see it here in verse 24. And he says this, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. If you answer one question, Jesus replied, did John's authority to baptize, talking about John the Baptist, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely Human. Now, while there's probably 30 or so men accusing Jesus, there may be a few hundred others who are there listening to his teaching. And the, and the elders of the people and the chief priests realize, okay, this is, a, this, is a, this is a strange moment. And they step back and they huddle up and they, and they say, how do we answer his questions? If we say John the Baptist was simply human, then all the people here are gonna, they're gonna rise up against us and we're gonna be in trouble. But if we say John the Baptist was from heaven, then Jesus will say, well, then why didn't you worship him and follow him if he truly was a prophet from God? And so they come back with their best answer. Here was the best answer they had. They said this, we don't know. What a great answer, right? What a way to like work it through their their little filter. And they came back and they said, we don't know. And Jesus says, well, then I'm not gonna tell you. I'm not gonna tell you by whose authority since you won't answer my question. And then he tells a parable, actually three parables that he tells in a row to, 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 uh, to show them who they are in the story and to point out what's happening. Now, I'll just remind you, parables are stories that are told and those stories have a meaning, a really important meaning. There's a, a book I was studying this week called Stories with Intent. And I'll, just, I'll read the quote to you here. It says this, Jesus' parables have been described as both works of art and weapons in his conflict with opponents. Now tonight's parable, listen, is a weapon. Jesus tells a story that is a weapon that he uses to show what's happening from God's perspective. Continue on. They are both and more. From the day they were first told right up to the present, they have brought delight and instruction to countless people and offense to others. Now you can believe that the chief, uh, the chief priests and the elders of the people were offended, highly offended by what Jesus is about to say to them. Now I'm gonna, what I'm gonna do tonight, just so you know, uh, I'm gonna talk through this parable. Now the parable we're gonna look at tonight is very short. It is four verses and only 72 words. And first we're gonna do is we're gonna go through the parable and I'm just gonna point out to you this this might be called, uh, what I'm doing right now might be called teaching. I'm just gonna give you some teaching on what you should notice from a perspective of the people who first heard this parable, what you should notice culturally and language wise as you look at the parable. And then we're gonna come back through, look at it again for four takeaways from this parable and how it affects our lives. Another way of saying what I'm gonna do tonight is for the next 10 minutes, I wanna talk to your head, and then the next 20 minutes after that, I wanna talk to your heart, your head and then your heart. 
Here's how the first parable begins. The only parable we're studying tonight, there's three of them in a row. And Jesus says this, what do you think? Here's how he recaptures their attention. By the way, uh, just so you know, uh, there are a little less than 50 parables and 22 of the 50 begin with a question. And this parable we're looking at tonight actually is bracketed by two questions. There's a question to begin it and a question that ends the parable, which is master teaching on the part of Jesus. He says right away, what do you think? You know, he's asking the, those that were there, but you should also be engaged with this question. What do you think about the story that you're about to hear? Here's what he says. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. Now, right away, you perceive this parable is about a father and his sons. And you can know many, many parables start just like this. There was a man who had two sons. Think right now about the, the, the story, the prodigal son. It was a father who had two sons. And there's other parables that begin that way as well. Jesus loved this format of a father who is God and then his sons who represent different people that were there listening to what he was saying. It was a man who had two sons. He went to the first son, the older son, probably the first one's probably older, the first son. And he said, son, Go and work today in the vineyard. Now, right away, you can notice this. The man owns a vineyard, which means he's wealthy. He's a wealthy man. He owns land. He owns a vineyard. And the son probably is not going to go to the vineyard and start picking grapes. He's probably going to go hire day workers to come in and do some harvesting. It's as if the father's saying, now's the time. You need to go to the vineyard. It's time to get to work. But look what he also says. He says, son. He's not commanding him. He's got, he's got a heart of love and words of love. He doesn't say go. He says, son, son, go and work when? Today in the vineyard. Now, this is said in a patriarchal culture where fathers rule. How I long for the days. No, just kidding. Uh, but, but fathers rule in this culture. When your father said it, you did it. Your father said jump. You said how high, sir. And so we would expect the only answer this son can give is, absolutely, sir, let me get my shoes. But instead of that, we, we get the response, which would cause gasps from those listening because it's so culturally inappropriate. But the first son, probably the older son, he actually says this. He says, I will not, he answers. Could you guys gasp a little when I said it? I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna do it again first. I will not. Well played, he answered. Now, I want you to think about this. When you think about this, in our culture, fathers don't hold that same place. So think about, if you think about it's your employer, okay? It's your employer, and it's your first day at work. And your employer says to you, I need you to go get this done. And you said to your employer, I will not. Or imagine, another analogy, same idea. Imagine you're in the military. You're in the military, and your commanding officer says, I'm giving you a direct order. And you say, I will not. That's shocking. That's a sh it's a shocking moment in the story for the son to say, I will not. I will not. And the father leaves, we understand in the story, the father leaves and it says this. But later, after some time, the father's gone. But later, he changed his mind and he went. Now, interestingly enough, on the 4th of July, I was driving over uh, to Alum Creek for a little family 4th of July thing. I was riding uh, with a young man. Um, his name's Logan. He, he's a, just an awesome kid. And, and Logan and I were discussing this parable together. Logan, Logan Durbin and I were just talking through it. And I told him, I'm told him this first part. The first son says, he says, I won't. But then he goes and does it. And Logan said this. Logan's like, you know what? I do that all the time. I actually did it all the time. All the time, my mom says to me or, or someone says to me, hey, go do this. And I'm always like, no, no, I won't do it. And then a few minutes later, I just go do it. And he's like, I don't know why I do that. And I was like, weird, Logan. I do it too all the time. My, my daughters will be like, dad, can you? And I just stop right there. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not doing it. 
And then before I know it, I'm doing the exact thing that they asked me to do. Uh, my wife even will say to me sometimes, she'll say, don't say no until I finish the whole thing. Don't, don't jump in with no. How many guys here, raise your hand, you've actually done this. You said no, and then you went and eventually did the thing that you said you wouldn't do. Lots of you. Okay, good. He says no, and then he goes and does it. The father goes on. The father doesn't know the first son has gone. So the father went to the other son, the second son, maybe the younger son. And he said the same thing. Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And, the, and this, this son said, yes, sir. Look at this great answer. He answered, I will, sir. Now, this is a great answer. Don't you kind of love the second son already? You know, he's, he's got the right answers. He's doing the right thing. He, I will, sir. But he did not go. He never went. Never actually went and did it. Now, imagine there's two sons. The first son says no, but then he does it. The second son says, yes, sir, but then he never actually goes and does any work in the vineyard. In fact, look, look at just for a second. The, the beauty of this parable is seen in the symmetry that Jesus uses. Look how close the answers are. The, the second son said, I will, sir. The first son had just said, I will not. In fact, in, in, in the Greek, they, they match up perfectly with the change in what I won't do or what I will do and the addition of sir. And so Jesus then asks a question. To end the parable, it's bracketed between these two questions, and he asks this last question. Which of the two did what his father wanted? And I want you, don't say anything yet, I want you to answer. I want you to say out loud your answer, and you have four answers, and there's only one correct answer. They're not all right. There's one correct answer, and gonna, we're going to see it in this story. You can answer like this. You, who, which one, the question Jesus asks, which one did what the father wanted? Answer one, neither. Answer two, you could say both. Answer three, the first. And answer four, the second. Neither, both, first, second. Let me tell you, I'm gonna count down from three and when you say it, I'm gonna show you what the, 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 how the verse ends. So he's asking the question, which one did what the father wanted? Say it out loud in three, two, one, go. The first, they answered. And the first is the right answer. He didn't say which one said the right thing. He said which one did the right thing. The first they answered. Now this parable, interestingly enough, is in a category of biblical literature called a judicial parable. We have judicial parables in Isaiah chapter five. We see it again between Nathan and King David in the Old Testament. And this is a judicial parable that actually the parable itself, the story itself is like the judge that sits over your life and the story itself judges you. And when they said the first, they were judged by their own words. And then Jesus says this, and it's pretty harsh, so sit back and, and enjoy. He says this, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Now, who's he talking to? The chief priests the most holy, righteous men in the entire country, he just said, the prostitutes and the tax collectors are going in ahead of you. And then he says this, for John, John the Baptist, came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not, I'll stop, you say the word, get ready. You did not and believe him. Now, this is an amazing, amazing parable because what we see in these 72 words, Jesus quickly says, here's some things about God you should know. Here's some things about you you should know. Here's some things you should know about people that are very much unlike you that are listening to me teach right now. And he puts everything in proper perspective and it's beautiful. 
So four takeaways from this parable I wanna highlight to you and I wanna show you and I wanna talk to your heart just a little bit tonight. Now I know sitting here in the room and watching online, there are people who eagerly desire to follow God with their life. I know you're here. I know the people in the room right now that, that might, might say, I'd like to follow God, but honestly, I'm really not. And probably people in the room right now and watching online that would say, you know, I'm really not. I'm not sure what I believe or where I am. And for all of you, all three of those camps, this parable speaks to every one of us with clarity and with focus. And the first thing we learn in this parable is something about God, something that God wants, something God desires of those who are following him and of everyone around the world. Here's what God says to begin the parable. Son, go and work today in the vineyard. Fill in number one. Here it is. Get ready. Fill in the very first one. Here's what God wants from us. God is calling us to action. And you got to see it. One sub-theme of this parable is active faith versus passive faith. Passive faith means I'm not really active. I'm not going out to the vineyard. I'm just saying yes or no to God and in my own way. I'm not going to the vineyard. I'm not working. I'm not actively pursuing Christ with my wife. By the way, the Greek word here, ergodzomai, is the word for work. It's a, it, it's a basic word for work. It happens 40 times in the New Testament, this, this word. But what it means is to pursue actively. That's what, what's what work is. Active pursuit, active action, working in your life. And God's calling us in this parable. He says to everyone, I want you engaged. I want you active, not passive in your faith. Now I'll say to you, and, and you should believe me, you can think about the work God's calling you to in two very different and very separate ways. The first one I'm going to call internal work. Internal work is how you partner with God to work on things happening inside of you. And then of course, the second one I'm gonna call external work. How you partner with God to, to, to work to help other people and serve others who are around you. Now, when I say internal work, I'll just mention to you, there are lots of verses in the Bible about doing internal work, about what you should be thinking, what you should be feeling, about who you're becoming, and all of it is internal, happening with God's partnership inside of you. Let me give you some examples. Second Peter uh, chapter two gives us a list of things. And this list is about progressive, progressively growing in your life and in your internal work. Look what he says. For this very reason, Peter says, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge. Those are internal. Goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control. By the way, self-control is internal work, developing self-control. And then you develop perseverance. And then, and then you develop godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection, and mutual affection, love. That's the, the hierarchy that Peter says you should be working on. And all of them are internal. How about this internal work that he's calling us to? He says this, James 1.19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, good, the good news for you on this, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I remember reading this verse when I was 21 years old. When I was 21 years old, I remember reading this verse. And by the way, I'm now 51 years old. And 30 years later, I am much, much better at becoming slow to be angry. I've done internal work with God to say, you know what? That thing might've made me angry at one point in my life, but no way, not now. I'm not falling for that trap. I'm not getting angry over that small little petty thing. No way. 
Although, sadly, I've made no progress in being quick to listen or slow to speak. Still the same rate I was 30 years ago, sadly. But how about you? This is internal work. Internal work you do partnering with God to be slow to become angry, quick to speak. Sorry, quick to listen. Sorry. That's the Tom version I just gave you there. And slow to speak. How about this internal work? Peter says, you, should be fi- you will be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. God is calling you to do internal work that changes how you think and how you feel and how you process life. When I turned 50 years old, I turned 50, I remember on that day when I turned 50, I remember understanding going forward, my life must be defined by joy. Joy should be the defining thing in my life going forward. Not anger, not, not some self-centeredness, not, not some, some fascination with perfection and, and efficiency like I'd lived so much of my life in that, in that place of pushing, pushing hard and getting more. No more. Now my life should be defined by joy. But you know what? When you have that thought in your mind, I'll, I'll be defined by joy. Everything you see and do changes how you react. When there's a minivan behind you with a lady going like this and honking her horn, you can't be upset with her because you're choosing joy, not frustration or not anger with your life. And by the way, that internal work that God is calling you to is very, very possible. How many of you here, raise your hand, you know, you understand what I'm saying and you know God is calling you to be active with internal work in your life. Just raise your hand right now. That's the call. Are you saying yes? Are you saying no? Are you actually doing it? Now also, equally, there is external work that God is calling us to do. Let me show you a verse about external work. This is about others, not us, but other people that God wants us to to impact. This is the most famous, one of the most famous verses in the Bible about, about external work. Here's what it is. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, they're the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the great commission. It's a call on everyone following Christ. You gotta find a way, whether it's you're gonna go somewhere or as you go, you're thinking about how how can I communicate who I am, what I believe, and help someone else have faith in Christ. This morning, by the way, about 3.30 this morning, and I'll just let you know, I was not here for this. I just know it happened. A mission team gathered at 3.30 this morning in this very building, and they went off to the airport to go eventually to Kenya to, to help plant a church. They went to live out this exact verse. Now, I've been, I've been to Kenya on this exact trip. They're going on doing the exact same things. And one thing they will do is they will literally go out with this verse in mind. They're gonna put a physical church in a location, and teams will walk to every house in walking distance. One, one day a few years ago, I was doing just that. Here's a picture I took. I'm walking with my team. We went to many houses that day and th- this exact one, I went to this house. We saw it kind of far away. There's some corn up front and, and it was an incredibly sunny, hot day in Africa, which is saying something, by the way. And I walked up and there was a family there. And our translator said to the family, he said, would all of you gather, would all of you gather and hear how, how much God loves you? That's what he said. And they all gathered together. They got together and they were all there. There was a mom and a grandma and a great grandma and their grandkids and they're all there. Some of them were working in the field and they came in and they all sat down, about 12 people all sat down. And then he looked at me and he said, you, you tell them, you tell them how much God loves them. And I opened my Bible and I started in English just talking about Jesus and who he was and he was translating for me. And I said, how many of you here have ever heard about Jesus? And just one, the oldest lady there, the oldest great grandmother raised her hand. She said, I know about Jesus. Because a man very much like you came here 50 years ago 
to tell us about Jesus. But then he left, and I don't know where he went. But she said this, but I have believed in Jesus ever since that man came. And I preached and I, I gave an invitation uh, to accept Christ. And this, this young man, his name is Samson. Uh, actually, all of them pray, but Samson uh, was 18 years old. And Samson said, I want to pray. I want to accept Christ. I, I want to follow God. I, I believe it. I've seen my grandmother and what she believes. I needed someone to explain it to me. And four days later, I said, Samson, listen, we're having a baptism in four days. And we gave him directions to come. It would mean him walking over two hours to get to the spot where that baptism was. And I kept praying for him. Please, God, help, help Samson come. Help him come. We got there and there was over 85 people being baptized that day. And I looked over and I saw, I saw Samson in his, what had to be his absolute best shirt that he owned. And he's grinning ear to ear. And I said to the team, please let me baptize this young man. And here I am right here baptizing Samson. How about a hand for that, you guys, right? Absolutely. But here's the a, here's a great news of what I'm saying. That, that's an example of that verse being lived out right here amongst us and our Kenya mission team is going to do it. But also, let me say this as well. Equally, equally important as that story I just told you is this picture. Let me show it to you. This is all the volunteers who served in our vacation Bible school this year. Give them a hand. Go ahead, give them a hand. Well, let, me, let me tell you, let me tell you that, that every one of them is equally important to each other and whatever, whatever we're doing, by the way, just so you know, we had 158 volunteers at Vacation Bible School. We had 361 kids, a total of 519 people involved with Vacation Bible School. We had 63 decisions for Christ, 17 baptisms, and everyone, everyone you see in this picture is equally involved. Some were the hands, some were the feet, some were the voice, but all of them stepped up. And by the way, give financially to this church, you also can sit back and smile because you are part of the team that allowed both the team to go to Kenya and right here in this building, mission work to be happening all the time. Here's what I'm saying. God is calling us to be active, not passive in our relationship with him, doing internal work and doing external work as well. So ask yourself right now, am I active or am I passive? Am I actively pursuing God to be changed Am I active or am I passive and externally impacting others in a small way or a big way, volunteering in a ministry, letting God use my life? Number one, first thing we see in this parable is that God's calling us to be active, to go to the vineyard and to get to work. Second thing that we see in this story is a really important question. Jesus asked this question. Which of the two, the first son or the second son, which of the two did what his father wanted? That's a really important question because it brings us back to the central point that really it's about knowing what God wants. Now, by the way, this story, this parable of the two sons was told in a, what's called a shame honor culture. In that culture, not, not like here in America, we're in a different, a different culture. In that culture, they have shame and they have honor. And, and being shamed was a very serious thing and being honored is also a very serious thing. And by the way, both of these sons shamed their father. The father was shamed by both of them. He was shamed by the first son, directly saying no to him. He's shamed. He's shamed by the second son when the second son says yes, but doesn't actually go to the field. A rabbi, about 100 years after Jesus told this parable, another rabbi told another parable, a parable about a king. He said a king had a piece of land, very similar to this story. A king had a piece of land and he went to the nobles and he asked the first one, would you work the land? That noble said, no, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't do it. The second noble said the same thing. The third noble said the same thing. But the fourth, no, the fourth one, 
He said, yes, king, I will work the land, but he never did. And the question's this. In that parable, the question was this. Who will the king be most angry with? And the answer is the one who said they would do it and then doesn't. But that isn't the question for us in this parable. The question here isn't who was most shamed, who most shamed their father, or who who is the king, the, the father, most angry with. That's not the question at all. The question, the central question here is what, who, who did what the father wanted? Who is looking to please God with how they live and with their lives? Here's your second fill-in. The central and most important question is, am I doing what God wants. That's a, that's a meaning of this story. Am I doing what God wants? Am I pursuing what God wants? Whatever my lips are saying, it's the obedience of my life that really matters to God. The central question, am I doing what God wants? You know, yesterday we had a, a wedding right here in the church. And uh, one thing I do before officiating a wedding is I pray with the groom and the bride separately and individually. And I always invite the groomsmen or bridesmaids to pray along with us. And we prayed over the groom last night, just right, right over here in that room. And his dad was there. It was very meaningful. His dad was there. The best man was there. And uh, the other groomsman was there. And all of us prayed. And the third person that prayed over him prayed this simple thing. I pray that in this marriage, Jesus Christ would be central in this marriage. And I went to pray with the bride way back on the other side of the building and all the bridesmaids gathered around and her mom and all of them were there and I'm praying over the bride and they're praying over her. And guess what? That same exact thing was prayed. That Jesus would be central in this marriage. It reminded me of this song that we sometimes sing about Jesus being the center and reminded me that it's so easy for us to, to be out of line with, with this point, that the most important thing is what God wants because we so often get caught up in, what, what do I want? Am I comfortable? Do I like where this is going? How do I feel? What's going on with me? When the question really should be, what does God want? Just listen to this song just for a second. Here's what it says. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. You want to sing it this time? From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. One last time through. Everybody sing. To the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. Nice job, you guys. Nice job. Nice job. That, that's the point of the parable. It's all about him. It's about what he wants. Now let's examine the first son and then examine the second son just for a second. The first son, let me remind you, the first son, the first son said, I will not but then he changed his mind and he went. Now we understand from the context of this parable that the first son represents a group of people that are called tax collectors and prostitutes. And that's a, that's a perfect, beautiful description of people who, who feel like they are outsiders in society and they have done things that are seriously wrong in their life. It's beautiful too because all the tax collectors were men and in ancient Israel, all the prostitutes were women. So everyone's included in this group of outsiders. And Jesus is saying something fundamental and amazing. You outsiders, 
You, you, I mean, I don't know if you've had many conversations with prostitutes before, but I, I have. Uh, and in those conversations you have with them, you understand there, there's a stigma. And any culture I've been to where you're talking to a prostitute, generally for me, it's a, it's a, it's a church-related, mission-related thing. I shouldn't say generally, I should say every time. Uh, every time for me, it's a, it's a mission-related thing. But I've had lots of conversations with, with prostitutes and, and, and you can feel it, a stigma. They, they feel like you're gonna judge them. They feel like you're gonna think things about them. They feel like outsiders. Tax collectors would be absolutely despised. In fact, in this story, we have the top of society, religious leaders, chief priests, and the bottom of society, tax collectors, prostitutes are way down here. Now, now I want you to understand that, that, that it's good for you to see and look, how does my life compare to this first son? Do I, have I ever felt like an outsider? Have I ever felt like I'm someone that is battling an addiction or I, I'm battling things in my life and the world, society is looking at me in a way that makes me feel like, like I'm less than, like I'm, not, like I'm not a whole human person. But Jesus looks at you and he says, no, 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 no. You, the one that feels like the outsider, the, the one who feels abandoned by society, the one, the one who feels so far away, you have a chance you, you can be elevated above the top of society. But here, here again is, is, is a really important thing. The, the, he, he did this. He said no, but later he changed his mind. The key word here, which comes up later in verse 32, is, is repent. The, the tax collectors, Matthew was one who wrote this, was a tax collector. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, the, those that were outside of society, they repented and by their repentance and faith in God, they were accepted, open arms. You know, I, I really connect with the first son because the story of the first son is the story in so many ways of my own life, of, of knowing God and saying no to God, of saying, I will not. I'm gonna live my way. I'm doing it my way. You know, when I was uh, 22 years old, I, I, I got a DUI, arrested, went to jail. I felt so much shame, just ashamed, ashamed of myself, ashamed of what I've done. That shame was there. But eventually, after learning some more lessons and some more time passing, I did this very thing. I repented to follow God. And the, the message of the first son, the message of, of this, of all of us, of all of us who said no to God, but then said yes to God later, the message for all of us, the first son reminds us of redemption and the forgiveness of God. We repent, God forgives us, and we can be redeemed. If you, if you feel like an outsider, you, you feel like you've struggled and not been embraced and society has judged you in whatever way, stop and know Jesus says, come to me. Come to me for redemption and forgiveness. Make me your Lord and your Savior because everyone has a place with me, amen? How about the second son? Second son is uh, interesting and important to point out. The second son said, yes, I will. I will, sir. But then he, he never does. He never does what he said that he would do. And of course, this is the, the chief priests and the elders of the people. This is, he's talking to the top of society in this moment to, to say to them, come on, come on. Don't, don't you see that you're, you're pretending to say yes, but your life doesn't show it at all? They haven't done any internal work. They're not showing love to others. They're not living out God's commands at all. These people were highly religious and they certainly appeared righteous. Keyword appeared. And maybe you see people like that in your life too. They appear righteous. 
You look at them, you see them, and you think, wow, what a righteous person. People tell me sometimes. I'll invite them to church. Hey, I'd love to have you join me in church. Like, oh, I can't, I can't come to your church, Tom. I can't come. People there, are, they're, they're holy. They're, they're, they're righteous people. I, I wouldn't fit in there. And I'm like, you don't know them like I know them. You should just come. Thank you, Chris. When I was in college, I, I went to a Christian college. And every single Sunday morning, this scene would play out in my college. Young college students would get up, take a shower, get dressed, go to church, come to lunch in the dining hall. Other students my friends, wouldn't go to church, sleep in, throw on your sweats, and shuffle in to lunch about the same time as the churchgoers. And so, and so literally, the, the Christian college cafeteria could be divided right down the middle. Churchgoers, because they look pretty and beautiful, and non-churchgoers and sinners on the left-hand side. And I one day had an idea. I'd like to do an experiment. I'm not going to go to church, but I will shower and put on a tie and look like I went to church. Let's see what happens. And I did it put on my nice best tie, looked really nice. I walked into church. Man, it was like I was in a different place all across the room. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Oh, hey, how's it going? You wanna come sit with us? Man, totally different. When, when they thought I, had, I was one of them, the righteous people, when, when I appeared righteous, I was suddenly in a whole new class. And this guy walks over to me. He was, he's a, a young pastoral student. He's gonna be a pastor. And he says, he says, Tom, where did you go to church today? I said, you know, the funny thing is I didn't go to church today. I just dressed like this to see if you'd treat me any differently to see if you were a hypocrite. That's what I said for real. I was hardcore back in the day. And I was like, so I guess you are. And he was like, his whole face fell. This is a horrible story, right? This is a really horrible thing. You're like, do I root for the church people? Do I root for the the sinners? Who am I I sitting with in this story? Anyway, I'm just telling you, they appeared righteous, but they really weren't. You know, there's there's a danger in appearing righteous. You should never go for that. You should go like this. I want to appear like I have a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ where he's changing who I am. Here's our last fill-in for, for today. Before the last fill-in, let me remind you of this. There's something here you may not have seen yet. He tells the, the second son, the, the chief priests and the elders of the people, he said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. But he doesn't say are entering instead of you. He doesn't say you, you have no chance. Only they can go. You can't go. You failed the test and you have no hope. Not at all. Even in this message, there's hope for those who look at their lives and examine themselves and they say, you know what? I, I need to change. Here's, here's your last fill-in. The second son reminds us wrong button. The second son reminds us that God desires obedience over appearance and that through Christ, hope for all remains. You should ask yourself this question. This is dangerous. I'm going to tell you something dangerous right now. You should ask yourself, all of you here, all of you watching, should ask yourselves, how am I like the second son? How am I right now in my life, and I ask myself this probably five times this week, In what areas of my life am I like the second son where I'm saying yes, I'm saying yes as loud as I can, but I'm just not actually living out what I'm saying. And you might even be innocent. You might even say to me, no, no, Tom, I have good intentions. I want, I'm saying yes and I want to do it, but I'm just not. You know what the second son would have said? He had good intentions too. He just didn't do it. You should look at yourself through that mirror. Am I doing it? Am I actually doing? Am I speaking it and doing it with my life? Or am I just speaking it, feeling good about saying it and doing nothing? Listen, is your faith active or is it passive? 
passive faith is exposed in this parable. You gotta say it and you gotta do it with your life internally. Think about that for a second. How would you, how would you begin to approach the internal work that God wants you to do? And how might you approach the external work that God wants you to do? And I'll show you one last verse for tonight, really drawn to this verse. The sermon title actually comes from this verse, Ephesians 2.20. When I stop, you guys jump in. Here we go. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is saying really important things. Number one, the internal work of our lives, we partner with God because actually our internal work, we are his workmanship. So if you wanna, if you wanna say, I, I do wanna be um, slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry, you, you can take an anger management course or you can, just, you can just pursue Jesus Christ with all your heart because you are God's workmanship. All spiritual disciplines will propel you to the internal work that God desires to do in your life. You are his workmanship, partnering with him to be changed on the inside. But look at the second part. Created for good works. That's outside. That's, that's outside of you, the external work of helping others, impacting others prepared in advance. Stop right there. That means already right now, there are things God has prepared. I'm terrified to think of how many things God prepared that I missed because I wasn't aware. My eyes weren't open. My heart wasn't pressed in and I walked right past an opportunity that God had for me. Maybe you're doing the same thing. There are opportunities prepared in advance. Get ready, partner with God and let him work in you so you can work with him to change the world in some big or some small way. God desires active faith. Hey, just bow your heads, if you would. Praise team, come on back. We're gonna sing one last song for tonight. I want you to ask yourself right now, and I want no guilt. Guilt will not help you. Conviction is welcome. Guilt is not welcome. Is your faith right now active or passive? Maybe you're saying yes. Maybe you're saying yes all day long. Yes, Jesus. Yes, I will. Yes, God. Yes, yes, yes. But are you actively pursuing Christ with your life, in the word, in prayer, with others? And are you actively looking for what are the things prepared in advance for me? Maybe some of you connected tonight with the, with the first son. And you say, I have been rejected by society. I do feel like an outsider. I do feel like people judge me and they, they look down on me. Then you can know that Jesus is calling you to, to redemption, but he's also calling you to, to repent and say, Jesus, I accept you and I accept your way of living, thinking, and being in this world. I repent. So right now, quietly in the room, just pray any way you need to pray. Just approach God. Prayers of repentance, prayer, prayers of, of change, prayers of contrition, prayers of coming before God, examining how am I like the first son? How am I like the second son with my life? Father, I thank you for this awesome, amazing parable. 72 words that put everything right. 72 words that remind us of themes of you, that you want us to work and be active, but you care about obedience, not appearance, and that you're working for redemption for all of us. 
that everyone has a chance with you, but that we need to examine our lives and how we're living and what we're doing. So we pray this word, Father, over this church change. God, we don't want to bring shame to you. We want to bring honor to your name by saying it and living it as your disciples and your children. In your name we pray.